be with you this morning. Uh, so as uh, Laura has already said, uh, we're a few days into the season of Lent, uh, which means uh, some of you might be a little late to the party. Uh, we're starting a new series, and it began on Wednesday. Uh, if you came to the Ash Wednesday service, uh, you were in on, on the front side of this. But today, uh, well, we, today we continue it. And, and this, you can barely read it up there, but uh, it's called The Journey Together. So we were doing better together, uh, and now we're moving on to The Journey Together. And for the next few weeks here, uh, we want, I want to look at uh, what are called the Songs of Ascents, uh, which is uh, the, the psalms that sit from uh, Psalm 120 to 134. Um, but more importantly yet is, uh, is what they do, how they function in your, in your Bible, which is that these were the songs, and you can think of them as songs, that, uh, that pilgrims, Israelite pilgrims, would sing uh, as they travel on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, because uh, the Israelites were a pilgrim people. They were routinely having to travel to Jerusalem. And on their way there, uh, you might imagine these are the songs that you would sing uh, in your childhood, uh, you know, uh, uh, the bus songs uh, as you're going on a, a ride in the bus. Uh, well, they had their own version of this. They were far more holy uh, and sacred, and uh, they made, it, made their way uh, into our canon. Uh, and here they are. And this morning, we're going to read one of them. Uh, it's Psalm 122. Again, we, we kind of skipped ahead because, uh, well, we started on, on Wednesday with Psalm 120. Uh, in my council meeting yesterday, I used Psalm 121. Uh, today, we're doing Psalm 122. Um, on Wednesday of this week, this is a little promo here, uh, 7 a.m., we've got a simple service on Wednesday, Psalm 123, Next Sunday, you get the idea. Uh, <laughs> uh, we can't do all of that. With 14, we, we don't have 14 weeks of, of Psalms because I want to finish this uh, up by Easter. Uh, the, the whole point of the journey is that we're heading toward somewhere, right? And Lent in particular itself is a journey as well, right? Uh, it's a journey toward the cross. It's a journey toward Easter Sunday. And so that's where we're all heading Together Now, uh, a few weeks ago, and I can't believe I'm even saying this here, uh, we had uh, a, a day where we discussed fellowship together, and I asked the question in Sunday school, like, I asked for a definition of fellowship, and one crazy table said, they said, uh, fellows in a ship, uh, that was their definition of fellowship. And I laughed, and I said, do you have a real answer? And they said, that is our real answer. And then it proceeded to be the metaphor that ran through that entire Sunday morning Bible study. And now it's making it into this because... It's <laughs> uh, unbelievable. Uh, it, it actually, like, really works. So here's the way... I, here's the way... I, hey, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I can admit it. I'm a big man. Uh, when, uh, if, if the first part of this year was essentially us gathering up our shipmates and saying, 
it's better together. Let's get back in this boat together, right? But if the ship just sits there at the shore and we just, we just all kind of like, you know, hang out uh, on the boat and, and, you know, we have a good time together, and that, that is fun, uh, right? But, but the boat's not going, the boat is designed to go somewhere. And that is what we want to start doing together now. We want, we want to go on this journey together, right? We, we want to go somewhere. We, we want to move in a direction. And so the fellowship uh, boat is, uh, is on the move. Uh, this is the first week uh, of the journey. Uh, and I look forward to seeing what God has to do. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we invite you into our presence this morning, knowing that you've beat us in here, because this is your house. This is the Lord's house. But Lord, I pray that we be here in full, and that we find you in here, and that we experience you in here, and that we open our hearts and our minds to what you have to teach us today, Lord. I am grateful, and I know so many of us are grateful for this church, South Run Baptist Church, and we give you thanks for that. Lord, what we do this morning, may it be glorifying to you, and may it bring you praise. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, a couple years ago, about this time, uh, we were, there was like 30 of us returning from a trip to Israel together. And uh, one of the things that I kind of tossed around in my own head, actually before I left, I, I had read a book about pilgrimages. And one of the ideas while I was over there was, you know, what, what is this that we're doing together? Is this a pilgrimage or are we just tourists, right? Uh, what's the difference between a pilgrim and a tourist? I don't know if you've given this any thought. We don't do pilgrimages much anymore. I don't know that I've been on a true pilgrimage. Has anybody in here like been on something that they would call, yes, I'm certain I've been on what I would call a, anybody? And, uh, you know, some people do this for real. They, they, they like head over to somewhere in Europe and, and then they backpack through Spain and um, they, they, they make their way towards some holy site. Uh, and this is part of, you know, a, a pilgrimage. Um, the rest of us, we, we are tourists, <laughs> largely, anyway. And, uh, and so as we headed over to Israel, I thought, are, are we just tourists or, or are, we, are we pilgrims in some, some fashion? So to, this morning, as I kind of rethought all this, because, uh, well... We're talking about uh, pilgrim songs, right? Uh, I thought it'd be worth like looking into what's some of the differences between pilgrims and, and tourists, and and I've come up with with a couple things or three things rather. Uh, one is the purpose uh, of these two is is significantly different. Uh, tourists, uh, my guess is we've all been tourists at some point. If you've just gone into D.C., uh, you've, you've been a tourist, likely. Uh, and the, one of the main objectives is entertainment, right? We live in an entertainment culture, and so we're all very used to entertainment. We don't think uh, 
too poorly of this anymore, though a little too much entertainment, I think, has begun to rot our brains. Nevertheless, uh, we, we, we sometimes travel uh, far and wide as tourists uh, in order to seek entertainment in you know, whatever city we might find ourselves in. Uh, pilgrims, however, they have a different purpose in mind. The goal is not to be entertained, right? The goal is to be transformed. You're going on a journey so that I might be changed somehow. So that the me that returns from the trip is a different me than, than left a few days, weeks, months prior, right? That, that's the goal uh, of a pilgrimage, is to be changed and transformed. The second thing I would say about pilgrims versus tourists is it has to do with the experience of it all, the experience of it all. Thinking back uh, to our experience of Jerusalem, we, uh, we kind of stood in a very iconic spot on the Mount of Olives, and it overlooks the city, uh, and you see the, the Temple Mount in front of you, you see uh, the Kidron Valley right below you, uh, you see, um, you, you can really see a good view of the whole city, basically, right? And um, there's a few ways to experience that experience, right? You can say things like, wow, it is stunningly beautiful. You can say, there is so much history here. It's amazing. And you can be uh, shocked and awed by this. And then you can say the same things and yet have it move you in some fashion, Right? Have it, again, change you in some fashion. Because you know that what you're experiencing in that moment, well, you're looking out at the Temple Mount where Israelites for, for centuries would head to to practice their sacrificial rites. You're, you're looking over to your right and, and you see the place where the Garden of Gethsemane is. Right? And, and you see the route where Jesus would have traveled in through the gate that opens up, or would have opened up then, it doesn't anymore, uh, where, he, uh, where the palms would be laid, and he would go in on the donkey on Palm Sunday. And you see the stairs that, that sit next to the Temple Mount where the disciples, after Jesus uh, is raised from the dead and, and the disciples truly become the apostles at this point, uh, where they begin to teach people uh, and, and build the church. And you can be moved by it and changed by it and realize, oh my goodness, I, I'm part of this history, as, uh, as a person of the church, I am part of the unfolding of this historical narrative now. My name may not be found in these pages, but they're found in the pages of history, which continue well beyond what we find in here. And those are two very different experiences, right? One is a tourist who's enjoying, maybe even appreciating the beauty of this city, and the other is the experience of the pilgrim who is moved by and changed by this experience altogether. The third thing I'd say about the differences between these is, is that uh, there's a certain relationship to hardship 
to hardship that uh, is, is connected to them. The tourist, and this is where you can really appreciate the difference, the tourist is trying to avoid hardship at all costs, correct? Right? Uh, I mean, stay in the nice fancy hotels, you eat the great food, you fly first class, you know, however you tour uh, the world or whatever. Uh, uh, you know, the, the objective is to avoid hardship at all costs. A hardship, by the way, if um, you know anything about uh, change and transformation, whether uh, of a person or a body or a nation, uh, it requires hardship. And so the pilgrim knows that hardship it's not just something that kind of happens, and not that they seek it out, but they certainly do not avoid it. Hardship is part of the process. Hardship is expected. It might even be desired in a certain way, because when you go through it, well, then you know that something is happening, or something's at least possible, that change is, is possible, and the transformation that we're looking for is possible. Now, at this point, you might be wondering why in the world does any of this matter, which is a great question, and I'm glad you asked, and it gets us to Psalm 122. You see, in Psalm 122, and I want you to open up there, uh, what we find is somebody who's on a pilgrimage, right? These are the songs of a sense. If you were with us on Wednesday, then you know that in Psalm 120, our psalmist finds himself, well, in a far-flung place. He's in a, maybe the place, verse 5 says, in Meshech. Woe to me, I sojourn in Meshech. I, I dwell in the, the tents of Kedar. And while you probably don't know these places or these names, and I couldn't even put them on a map for you, all you need to know is that they're really far away from Jerusalem, the place where this person should be, and they need to travel. They need to pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so this is what's happening in 122. And as he travels, he finds himself very quickly, actually, uh, in the city of Jerusalem. And I want to read together... Actually, before I read 122, I do want to note that Israel itself is, is quite different from us. Whereas uh, none of you, uh, unless I missed something, raised your hand as to how many pilgrimages you've been on, if I were to ask that same question 2,000 years ago of the Israelite people, everybody would have raised their hand. And why? The Israelites were a pilgrim people because they were commanded to be pilgrim people. They were commanded to be. In Exodus chapter 34, uh, God designs three holidays in particular where they're required to head to Jerusalem. And the holidays go like this. There's the Passover one, right? Which is, is we're all kind of used to that one. That's the one that Easter gets connected to. But the other two that you're probably not uh, as used to are ones where uh, people are bringing their first fruits. So it's actually pretty close to Passover. Their first fruits. 
And then there's what I'm calling the last fruits. <laughs> it's the harvest. It's the main harvest, right? And so there's kind of the beginning of the crop season where people uh, come to Jerusalem and they give uh, God their best stuff, their first stuff. And it's an act of trust, isn't it? And then, same thing, at the end of the, the growing season, they're, they're on their way to Jerusalem to give God some of the last things that they have. Again, an act of trust. As winter is drawing near, as food stops growing, they're willing to say, you know what? We trust that God will get us through this next season. It's really hard for us, I'll just say, for me, and I'm sure for you, to really put ourselves in these people's places because we don't live in this kind of environment where we where we grow our own food, right? I just go to Giant or Kendall does to Walmart or or to Sam's Club or Costco or Malik's Pizza Palace (laughs) and uh, and they just bring us our food, right? But imagine being in such a place where you're reliant uh, on the farm, on the weather, probably on your neighbors, to make sure everything happens so that you make it all the way to next year and the next growing season and then the next and then the next. It's the whole reason why famine is such a big deal in in the Old Testament. Because when this happens, it doesn't just affect one person, it affects everybody, right? So indeed, these Israelites are pilgrim people. It's in their DNA I venture to say, actually, it became part of their DNA because of the whole wilderness wandering part, where where for 40 years, they're walking through a desert, and they're moving from being servants of the Pharaoh, if you remember last week, to being servants of God. And it takes a while to get to that point. But 40 years of literal walking requires something of them, changes them in a certain way, and they are finally able and ready to enter into the land. And in case they forget it, three times a year, God has reminded them, you need to be a pilgrim people. You need to be a walking people. And you need to learn what it means to trust me three times every year. And this is what they do. Let's open up to Psalm 122 together and read, as they enter into Jerusalem, what's happening here. I was glad when they said to me, this is how the psalmist opens up, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And it's easy for us to think, uh, this is the house of the Lord, because it is, right? The church, this is the house of the Lord. But I assure you, uh, as the psalmist is writing this, there was one house of the Lord, right? And it was at the temple. That was the house of the Lord. And so when he says here, let us go to the house of the Lord, he means let us go to Jerusalem. Let us go to that holy city, to that one place that has been designed as the house of the Lord. And then he begins to say, our feet have been standing within your gate, O Jerusalem, And you can imagine him looking around, staring in awe. 
And he says, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. And, and again, you can, you can see him watching and looking and experiencing the city and, and noticing how well designed this city is. But he's not the tourist. He's not the person who's just saying, oh man, I've been to Rome before. That is such a cool city, right? It's so beautiful. No, this is the pilgrim who's looking around and saying, I've been to Jerusalem before. That's such a cool city because it's changed every part of who I am. Because I met God there. The Lord's house is there. And I was pleased to go up to the house of the Lord. In verse 4, it goes on and he says, Jerusalem, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel. And I've just told you the decrees. To give thanks to the name of the Lord. And here it gives us an idea of why they're going up. The answer could be, so if you asked him, you know, why, why do you do this on a yearly basis? Well, the Bible tells me so. I, I don't love that answer. It's an okay answer sometimes, right? But that's not the answer this person gives. The answer is, we go up to give thanks. Out of gratitude. Out of desire that wells up within my own heart because I wish to give thanks to God. Verse 5, there in Jerusalem, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. And now, you might think judgment, doom, gloom, but that's not actually what's happening here. The thrones of judgment, this is a traditional role for the king. The king sits uh, in judgment in a different sort of way, in a way that, well, like our Supreme Court sits in judgment. The Supreme Court gets to say, this is what is right and this is what is wrong. And the king would do much the same thing. And so somebody goes up to Jerusalem asking, what is the right thing to do in this life? What is the wrong thing to do in this life? And every year, three times a year, they would make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem where they would find the judgment seat, where they would find God, and they would find what is right and what is wrong to do in this life. They would learn the moral order of the universe. And it goes on. And here is where, frankly, it gets good. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the peace of Jerusalem. You'll notice this word peace comes up actually quite a few times in these last four verses. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The name Jerusalem itself has peace within its own name. Shalom is, is the word for peace you've probably heard before. Jerusalem, right? It's a city of peace. And so pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure. May they be at peace who love you. Peace within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace 
be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Peace. Now again, if you were with us on Wednesday, you might remember how it all ends in uh, Psalm 120. And if you weren't with us on Wednesday, that's fine. Uh, I'll just remind you, if you, if you look back just a, a couple chapters, at the very end of 120, our psalmist at this point, who's in the far-flung places of, of Meshech and Kedar, he's saying to himself, too long have I been in a place that loves war. That's what he says. Too long. Too long have I been in a place that is at war with the world, at war with God, and at war with myself. And he says, that's not what I want. He says, I am for peace. I desire peace. But when I speak, these people of Meshech and these people of Kedar, uh, they're for war. And I need to change something. I need to do something different. I need to go on a pilgrimage, and I need to find myself at the house of the Lord where I might find peace. Peace with God. Peace with others. Peace within my own very self. I think this is what we find in Psalm 122. We find someone who has made it all the way up to Jerusalem and is looking around and is reminded of who he is. He is God's child. That person will then go back home, though. He doesn't stay in Jerusalem, right? The pilgrimage to Jerusalem, you go, but you return home. And then the return journey is of its own sort. You see, the return journey, now you are a changed person. And as we are going on this journey together, the journey together, right? At the end of it all, we should be a changed people. And we are headed toward the house of the Lord. We are headed toward God. And we are headed toward the cross, toward Easter Sunday, toward Good Friday, At the end of it all, we should be changed people. But we will still be living here. We will still be inhabiting the lives we've always inhabited, right? But my hope is that we will see this world that is our own world in a different sort of way. That we will have new eyes to experience our our very own lives. There's a a famous quote by T.S. Eliot that I... uh, that I often come back to, at least in my own mind, uh, one of my favorite uh, English professors from college uh, shared it, and it's always stuck with me. And it says, we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of, our, of, of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know the place for the very first time. At the end of our exploring... We arrive back home, and we know this place for the very first time. We should be changed by our pilgrimage, which is, of course, one of the goals. Transformation. The experience of my own life will now be different. I will have a deeper sense of gratitude 
for what is rather than what could be in my life. I will remember fondly the gifts of, of my past and, and not dwell on the slights or the insults or the ways in which things didn't go right in my past. I will not fear what might happen, but instead I will embrace whatever might come, knowing that God is the one who ordains history and who ordains my very own steps. And as Psalm 121 says, that passage that's right between 120 and 122, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We started the year with Better Together. We were rustling up a group of people to start this journey together. And the question today is, who wants to head out on this pilgrimage? Who wants to be changed together? Today starts the journey. My guess is that among us, we have a mix of pilgrims and tourists. I'll just be honest. Some days I'm a tourist, and some days I'm a pilgrim. What are you this morning? Are you the pilgrim? Are you the tourist? I do want to invite you into a little self-reflection, some introspection. And I want you to ask yourself, what are you? Are you a tourist in your own life? Are you a pilgrim in your own life? In your personal, spiritual life, are you even on the road somewhere? Are you traveling at all? In our church life, where are you? What's your role in this group of people? Do you just show up and watch the spectacle and you be entertained by it all, and then you go home? Or do you come, and, and you're moved, and you're changed, and you think, I want to be part of that caravan, the group of people who's moving somewhere, being changed together alongside one another. Our church is indeed a caravan of people, pilgrims, guiding one another, toward Jerusalem, toward God, or at least that's how I think of us. And so when I read the passage from today, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It resonates me with me as a pilgrim person, with pilgrim people, heading to the house of the Lord on a regular basis. Where are we heading? Like Israel and our forefathers and our foremothers. The ultimate journey is toward God. But in our New Testament passage today, Jesus ramps it up one more level as Jesus often likes to do. And so what Jesus says is he starts calling followers, and we're following Jesus. But Jesus' followers is not like the, the Instagram kind of followers, right? 
In fact, Instagram kinds of followers are, are almost the epitome or uh, like definition of what it means to be a, a tourist follower. You get to observe this thing from the outside. You're not even in the same room with this person, right? And you get to see it all, and you see the spectacle, but you don't participate in it. But when Jesus says, and he calls followers, and he does throughout his whole life, I don't know if you noticed this, he says, come follow me, come follow me. This is one definite way in which Jesus was speaking very literally to his people. Literally, follow me. I'm on a journey somewhere, a physical journey, where I'm walking. Are you going to follow me? And in Matthew 16, he tells us just kind of what journey this is. And he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. As we head out on this journey together, I imagine there will be a few things we discover. We will discover what faith really means. It means trust. Think of yourself on a journey with other people through the wilderness where you don't have refrigeration and you're having to find and forage for your own food. It requires a certain level of trust in those people who are around you, a certain level of trust in God, I think this is the sort of journey that God is calling us on. We'll also learn that God's strength is available in and especially around our own weaknesses. Those places and times where things are looking scary and frightening, we find that God steps in we will find that God's provision is available in my absence, in your absence, that God will provide in times where it seems like nothing's possible. And we will find God's protection when we are left vulnerable. The journey itself, if it's a true pilgrimage, uh, is one that does come with danger. It's one that comes with fun and joy. It's one that comes uh, with meaning and purpose. And along that way, we find that hearts get knit together. We find us becoming a, dare I say it, fellowship. I want to conclude with a prayer uh, that I found that I loved. Uh, it's a prayer from Sir Francis Drake, and it goes like this. It starts dangerously, and it says, Disturb us, Lord, disturb us. Dare, disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength and in courage and in hope and in love. May that be true of us. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we give you thanks and we give you praise. 
And as we head out on this journey together as a church, Lord, may we trust you increasingly more week by week by week. This journey is a journey toward the cross where we learn to pick up our own crosses and where we learn to trust ourselves to you and to the forgiveness that you offer on your cross, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we boldly go together, that we be a people whose hearts are knitted, who learn to love one another well, who learn to hope in you and to trust in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.